Welcome back to In the Queue. I am your co-host, Andrew, and I am of the opinion that next to Young Frankenstein, Mel Brooks's best comedy sort of, I guess, homage is probably Dracula Dead and Loving It, the least appreciated of his films, I feel like. Oh, good to recognize that film. I've only seen clips, but it did look actually really, really funny. Oh, it's extraordinary. Um, Beginning to end. I, this is Phil, your other co-host, and when I think of Young Frankenstein, the movie, there is one thing that pops into my mind foremost, and that is the scene when Gene Wilder accidentally stabs himself in the thigh with a scalpel. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I didn't expect that, but that's a great scene. No, it's the most vis- it's one of the most visceral things I've ever seen in a film. I'm not even kidding. Oh, yeah, it's great. His his trying to maintain composure in that moment is extraordinary. Gene Wilder is extraordinary. In every way, in every way. In case you haven't guessed, the movie that we're going to be talking about today is a listener request. It is Young Frankenstein, the Mel Brooks masterpiece, many people would say, from 1974. Uh, Probably, if not his most popular film, certainly one of the top three um, definitely, in, along... definitely in the top two of 1974, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, it is uh, an extraordinary movie, and it was recommended to us by Kathleen, who is here with us today. Kathleen, say hi to everybody. Hi. There she is. Uh, we'll get into a conversation about the film and why Kathleen suggested it in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you how you can find us on the web. Uh, you can go to our website, which is www.in-the-q, that's the letter Q, dot com. And there you can find all of our uh, episodes posted, as well as a comments section where you can leave us recommendations of films that you would like us to talk about. And much like Kathleen today, you can come on the show and talk to us about that film that you recommended uh we would love to have you on the show we love to engage our listeners in conversation so we recommend that you do that another place that you can do that is our facebook page which you can find by searching on facebook for in the queue q-u-e-u-e film conversations with andrew and phil and there you can leave any comments for films you would like to talk about any comments about the show itself Mm -hmm. whether you like it you dislike it you have any suggestions or uh, you can go there because we post a bunch of supplemental material, usually uh, things that inform your viewing of the film or uh, expand upon it or give you a nice little humorous aside. Mm-hmm. Uh, little, all of these. A little tickle in the ribs there, a little bit. A little, tic- little, little bit of a tickle in a the ribs, a little, little bit of a nudge. Pokey poke. Uh, finally, you can find us on iTunes by searching for In the Queue, Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil, and you can subscribe to our podcast and have every single episode delivered straight to your device of choice. It's that easy. It's, it really is. It's super easy. It's super easy. So, as I said, today's film, we're going to get right into the conversation because I think we will all have a lot to say about this film. Uh, but first, I want to hear, Kathleen, please tell us why it is that you recommended this film in particular for us to talk about on the show. Okay. Uh, it's, like, a favorite from when I was growing up, but also um, it's, like, a movie that makes me love comedy. And um, Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I love that it's 
sort of unironically funny. Mm. Yeah. Which I think pretty soundly describes most of Mel Brooks's output. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that he, I think that he invests in his jokes in a pretty, uh, like he takes his own jokes very seriously, which is a weird thing to say maybe, but I think that he, I think it's, it's very different from a lot of modern comedy where they're always kind of winking at the audience and kind of giving you that like, Hey guys, what we're doing is silly and we know it's silly. Right. And it kind of, it kind of undermines the comedy in a way. And I think, yeah, yeah, I, I, we're, we're missing that kind of Mel Brooks, honesty Mel Brooks, in the modern comedic landscape, like the whole, the rules of comedy are sacred to Mel Brooks. Like he yeah. really, he, he's the first person that I ever heard say that comedy is serious business. And yeah. as I'm sure we'll get into the discussion, like he really, He's following a tradition of of the type of comedy where you you lay the groundwork and then there's a payoff based on that groundwork and it's all it's all very like logical and and very kind of there's a pattern and and there are like rules to do it right and he is following yeah. those rules. Yeah, yeah, and and this film I think uh, follows that especially well because it is as with many of Mel Brooks's films, not all of them, but many of them, it is a, an homage, as I mentioned in my opening to the monster movies of his youth, you know, to the James Whale Frankenstein films and all of the kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, the Dracula films and, and, and the kind of that, uh, the kind of monster movie that was dead serious, took itself very seriously and, uh, was all the rage back in the early days of, of, you know, sound film mm-hmm. in the thirties and the forties, basically. Yeah. Um, for those who have not seen the film, uh, just to give you a brief summary of what it's about. Uh, it is the story of Frederick Frankenstein, as he likes to call himself in order to distance himself from his grandfather's work. His grandfather, of course, was uh, Dr. Victor Frankenstein, who, experimented with reanimating the dead and we all know the frankenstein story about how things went terribly wrong Mm. mobs with pitchforks and torches uh bad things happened he is trying to be taken seriously as a uh, uh biologist as a surgeon and uh as such tries to distance himself from his grandfather but the past keeps sort of catching up to him. And in a turn of events, he uh, winds up traveling to his grandfather's estate, uh, to the village where all of the terrible events of the Frankenstein movies that we know and love happened. And he gets caught up in his grandfather's work, uh, gets caught up with all of the sort of attendant characters like Igor, not Igor, Igor, who... Uh, whose whose own grandfather assisted Victor Frankenstein in the lab, of course. Uh, Elsa, uh, his beautiful lab assistant. Uh, uh, the the monster itself that he he recreates. A whole cast of characters. He gets caught up in his grandfather's work. Things go badly, but in the most hilarious way that you could possibly imagine. Indeed. Um. And that's really all that needs to be said about the plot, because if you really want to see the details of it, you can 
watch the film. <laughs> I would recommend it. <laughs> um, I, there's very few people that I know that haven't seen this film. Uh, I mean, I think that, that that is a testament to the sort of stature of it as a comedy or as a classic mm-hmm. film, you know. Um, and I think that a lot of it has to do with what we were just talking about, that kind of reverence, not only for the comedy, comedy but this is something that we've talked about in the past, Phil, uh, that uh, especially when we've talked about movies like uh, As Above, So Below or Ouija or films that draw upon a source material but don't quite understand it. Uh-huh. Or Godzilla, even, when we talked about Godzilla. Or even um, Muppets Most Wanted. Or even Muppets Most Wanted, yeah. Uh, which is delightful in its own way, but falls short of the joy of the previous Muppet films because it it appreciates its source material, but it doesn't fully understand its source material. It isn't infused with the spirit of its source material. And I feel like Young Frankenstein and you know, in, in my opinion, Dracula dead and loving it as well. And space balls and, you know, a, a history of the world part one blazing saddles. All of these are kind of send ups of genres in movies that Mel Brooks knows, understands, and most importantly, loves to death. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, I think it is absolutely clear watching young Frankenstein that Mel Brooks has such a, deep affection for the James Whale films yeah. that that it it helps the comedy succeed because he has such a deep understanding of it because he has such affection for it and such love for the source material. Well, this movie is not only a very funny comedy, but I consider it to be a work of art and it, it oh, is yeah. a extremely lovingly crafted homage to old 30s horror movies in particular uh you know just look at the very beginning um there is uh, a great you know model of a castle on a mountain with with fog moving past it and then they show you the entire credits for the film which most movies of that time didn't do that they would they would show you, you know, the the important credits, and then save the rest of the credits for the end. But it was the tradition of the 1930s to show every single credit at the beginning of the film. So, in keeping with that kind of a style of the film, they they do that, and it's a it's just like a classical work of art. It's the cinematography is gorgeous. It's unbelievable. It, I mean, it's it's almost it's almost doesn't have a right to be in a film like this. Yes, like this film could almost succeed if it wasn't a comedy, but it succeeds more because it is. And in some ways I couldn't help but feel like it reminded me of like a dry run of The Elephant Man, which Mel Brooks would later produce uh, in 1980 with the same composer, I might add. And uh, the music itself by John Morris, it's also akin to a film from the 30s because the... The uh, the violin motif that is in the film, which is what they what Gene Wilder uses to coax the monster to come back home, because that's an important motif in the film. They incorporate that with the overture of the the opening credits, yeah. and it's like just as Raiders of the Lost Ark is kind of like a lovingly made tribute to the '30s, 
uh, Young Frankenstein is uh, to the horror genre, and it's like it's an uncompromisingly beautifully made film, and and yeah. it's so nice to be able to see somebody who takes their craft so seriously meld it with something that is not serious, something that is funny and enjoyable. And it's, it's, it, this is a real rarity, I think, in the history of comedies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think they create real dramatic tension as well as comedic tension in it. And I think I saw this maybe when I was seven years old, and I think there were parts I was legitimately scared at. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's there's moments in the film. I mean, it it is, it is so carefully constructed, and it does invest so wholly in its characters' lives, and and this is a contrast. I mean, this is a this is a stark contrast to modern comedy. Mm-hmm. Modern comedy, and and you know, I don't I don't mean to sound like an old fuddy-duddy here, uh, but I may. <laughs> But modern comedy frustrates me quite often, not always, but quite often, because it refuses to take itself seriously. It, uh, it, it is always winking and nudging the audience to, to say that, you know, you don't need to take this seriously because we're not taking it seriously. So even, you know, when you watch a Will Ferrell comedy or you watch, you know, uh, uh, something and any of the ensemble pieces with uh, the Seth Rogen and James Franco and that whole crew, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're funny. I'm not going to deny that they're funny films and they're, they're enjoyable in their own way, but they never, never, never for a moment take themselves seriously. And there's something about that, that it's grating. less. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, in, in some ways it's grating in some ways it just, it lessens the film as a film. I mean, when, when you say, Phil, that this is an uncompromising work of art, no one would ever say that about this is the end, right? Well. <laughs> as fun a movie as it is. <laughs> anyone who's worth their salt wouldn't say that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, more than any other comedy that I can almost think of, you get a sense that the guys in this movie really know what they're doing. Like, they, they know how to set up a joke and make it pay off. And uh, they know how to be just mean-spirited enough without being cruel and spoiling the joke. And it's all like they're all like following these rules as if Mel Brooks has like a textbook that he's operating off out of like how to be funny, like how to how to it's almost like if this makes if this makes any sense, this is the end, for example, cannot exist as a comedy without an audience see if see if i'm reaching here okay right. so like no, 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 so yeah. this, this is the end like if 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 somebody is not there to laugh at it it's an unsuccessful film because it doesn't follow any kind of logic or or, or sense but right. like right. there's no dramatic structure to yeah the film but even if as even such, if there's yeah. nobody around to laugh at young frankenstein it still works like as a film, it still it still has motivation and it still makes sense and it's and it, it has its own payoffs and it's it'll be fine even if there's nobody around to laugh at it. If, if a young Frankenstein plays in the forest, will it still be a successful <laughs> film? Well, that's the question. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think you, I think you know what I'm saying. But like the the opening scene with the uh, where 
Dr. Frankenstein is is giving a lecture to his students, and he brings out this unfortunate, uh, you know, a participant in his discussion to display to display reflex right. uh, action versus uh, I don't remember what he calls it, but the you know preconceived something, action, yeah, basically. something like that. So yeah, so he gets like he knees this guy in the crotch a couple times, and uh, and the guy <laughs> reacts and and once they remove his ability to not react, he doubles over in pain, and then we see him being carted away as he's like moaning and clutching his bruised testicles, and that's an example of something that like was just mean spirited enough to be funny without being off putting. And Mel Brooks has said, he has this quote about comedy, which is, uh, tragedy is when I cut my finger. Comedy is when you fall down the stairs and break your neck. It's all a matter of it happening to somebody else that makes it funny. Right, right. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it should, it should also be said that Mel Brooks cut his teeth in the, on TV in the 50s, too. So yeah. he he's he, he you know he was already 20 years into his career when he made this film and uh it's just it's great it's uh it's hilarious It is it is and I think that another reason that the film is as successful as it is is that with probably one exception in the film itself and that's Marty Feldman's character Igor uh-huh. every single character is playing it completely straight. They believe everything that they're doing and it's never, they never doubt it for an instance. In fact, I think that Igor is the only character who breaks the fourth wall and, and looks at us, the audience and comments on the action that's happening. Right. I think, I think the Um, monster does it at at some point, right? Right before he uh, ravages uh <laughs> Madeline Kahn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right, you're right. There is one moment when the monster does it as well. Uh played incredibly by Peter Boyle. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, but for the most part, even even the monster, one of my favorite moments in this entire film is when they first discover that the monster has been reanimated. They come uh uh Elsa and uh uh Frederick and Igor all come running into the room and room in there and Frederick Frankenstein is just amazed that uh, that he you know this has happened and he's sort of freaking out about it and it just cuts to a reaction shot of the monster who's kind of like just the look on his face it's like okay all like okay what are you freaking out about it's this wonderful moment where it would be if you if you had woken up from a slumber essentially and somebody walked into the room and started flipping their lid you would be understandably a little weirded out by it and it's it's tiny little moments like that and of course you know the old saying that acting is reacting right uh is is paramount in this film i mean the reaction shots of people just reacting to things that are happening are as funny as anything else that happens in this film. It's absolutely genius. It's and genius. also, um, I think that uh, this has probably the greatest cameo of any movie I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, I almost wish he wasn't credited because I think that would have been <laughs> that would have made it 
all the more special for people who recognize him. But he's he plays a blind man that uh, um, the monster visits when he escapes from his uh, from his lab, and um, the, he's just like <laughs> he tr- the, Gene Hackman's character tries so hard to be a good host, but he just keeps messing up and 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 hurting his guest, uh, which is kind of funny because it it subverts our expectations about the monster going on a rampage like we think he should be the one inflicting damage on people but then but this right, way it gets right. turned around so that, that we have to, we get to laugh at the monster who's getting his fingers burned and getting hot soup poured on his crotch and and gene hackman who's like <laughs> just what just won a fucking oscar for the french connection like what is he doing in yeah. this movie but he's there and he's he plays it totally straight and and it's just a great sort of interlude in the movie but I want to know, Kathleen, what were those moments that scared you when you were a child from this movie? Uh, I don't know. I just think the like when like they're walking down the stairs and I don't know specifically. But I remember like not quite getting that it was a newer film that had been made to look old. Like I I don't know. If, like right, <laughs> like right. I I couldn't like there was no conceit that made me feel like it was not what it looks like. If that makes huh. sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and I think that this is also one of those great films that works well for a child. Like if a child is watching this, it's funny and it's entertaining and it's fun and might be a little bit spooky. But it also works on a much more adult level that a child will not be able to process necessarily. Yeah, there's a lot of sex jokes in this movie that as a child, I don't think I ever would have understood. Uh, but as an adult, of course, I can appreciate uh, in a much better way. Oh, oh, can you it's, now? I can. Yeah, yeah you can appreciate I can. it. I have experiences in life, you can, Phil. I have life experiences. You identify with some of the characters in this movie? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I've read the Wall Street Journal once or twice myself. Uh, so. Yeah, well, you're yeah. right there. Uh, I think I identify most with Kenneth Mars. Also a brilliant turn in this. I mean, every, every role in this film is brilliant. I don't, I don't think there's a bad performance in this movie. Uh, It's, it's really, it's one of those times when everything seemed to come together to create perfect synergy. Everybody was on, on the same page. Yeah, and it's the same year he made Blazing Saddles. I just, I don't, yeah. it's amazing. I, I was which, trying to think of other examples which, where that's happened. Like a director made two good movies in one year. Victor Fleming. Right, right. Uh, that's that's the biggest Gone one, with I the think. Wind I think that's and, most, the Wizard and The Wizard of Oz in the same right. year, 1939. That's that unbelievable. unbelievable. I was also, I was thinking of Steven Soderbergh uh, with Aaron Brockovich and Traffic in the same yeah. year. Uh, Steven yeah, yeah, Spielberg, yeah. Schindler's List, and Jurassic Park in the same year. Wait, yeah, no, yeah, nineteen ninety-three. I thought Jurassic Park was ninety-two. Nope. Holy cow! Well, yeah, that's yeah. crazy because those are like different ends of the spectrum. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I got. Yeah, you're right, man. That's crazy, but I still think Victor Fleming wins that award. Yeah, even so. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right about that. Yeah. Um, especially since nobody could name another movie that he ever made. 
Um, <laughs> hmm. Yeah, see? 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 You're right. You got um, it. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, on that earlier point that I made, though, about the idea of acting being reacting and great comedy often being watching people reacting to things that are happening. I think some of my favorite comedies of the last 10 or 15 years have been almost entirely predicated on their humor deriving from people's reactions, like finding a straight man, placing him in bizarre situations. Wedding Crashers is a great example of this where uh, Vince Vaughn kind of acts as the straight man for the rest of the movie to happen around and bizarre things happen and he is the one who has to try to make sense of them and that's where a huge amount of the comedy derives mm-hmm. from um, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle one of my favorite comedies period which I know sounds weird uh, uh, but I, I think it's truly a brilliant comedy and a, a huge amount of that is watching Harold and Kumar reacting to this totally bizarre world that they've been placed into that where nothing <laughs> behaves in the way that we would expect mm-hmm. it to. Uh, it's, it's brilliant in that way. Napoleon dynamite, another film, another comedy that I really love is a, a huge amount of it is about people's reactions to either Napoleon himself or Napoleon or kit or Pedro's reactions to the world, what the world is placing in front of them. I think that that's oftentimes a really, really, solid avenue to great comedy that is ignored. I think people often think that the humor is going to come from people acting weird or crazy or, or the, the weirdness or the craziness of the situation Uh rather than understanding that putting like an audience sort of surrogate in the film, who's able to comment on what's happening is oftentimes much more successful. Mm -hmm. Would you, would you agree with that Kathleen? Yeah. I mean, the success of the office right it's like all it's all just people looking at the camera and i think and i think some of my favorite parts of young frankenstein are just gene wilder's slow burns i think he's (laughs) maybe one of the masters at that yeah yeah like unbelievable just long moments that he'll take after something is said yeah after the scalpel after he stabs a scalpel into his thigh uh just a like wonderful kind of <laughs> just brilliant uh as you say slow burns that he my has. favorite scene in the whole movie is when he realizes there's something wrong with the monster's brain and he confronts Igor about it and he, oh, he tries yeah, yeah. to be diplomatic and and and, and Igor's like you promise you won't be angry and he goes I will not be angry and he just kind of sits there and and he's like uh, the brain was Abby something. And Gene Wilder's like, Abby something. Yeah, Abby, Abby normal. Like, are you telling me that I put an <laughs> abnormal brain into the body of a 10 foot gorilla? Is that <laughs> what you're telling? He's like throttling Igor. And it's just such a. The build in that scene is so awesome, and and it's just Gene Wilder at his best. I just think that the whole movie. I mean, my only my only caveat. This is a really, you know, spoiled millennial opinion. 
that that is really, <laughs> you know, it's it's not it's not important. But I have to mention. I'm excited. I to have hear to this. mention. <laughs> if you're used to having, you know, a lot of pizzazz and shenanigans in a film, Young Frankenstein is a leisurely paced story. It is. It takes its time, and it does not rush to make a joke ever. So it does require some patience. But still, if you're caught up with, with the hilarity of the actors, it's a pleasure to watch. And I don't want to let that deter anyone from ever seeing it because it's, it's rewarding. Well, and, and I think, importantly, it is in keeping with the pace and the feel of the films that it is paying homage yeah. to. Right. It feels it feels more like a monster movie from the 30s than it does a comedy from the 70s. Except for Gene Wilder's hair. Except for Gene. Well, except for everything Gene Wilder (laughs) in a way. That being said, Uh, though, there's a lot of jokes in a given scene, like many jokes. And and, and in such a Mel Brooks fashion where they are, it's almost, you know, they're one right on top of one another. And you're just like, uh, like, I think of just uh Frederick meeting Igor at the train station and how many things are in that scene that I routinely quote in my <laughs> daily life <laughs> because it's such a funny scene and it's just joke after joke after joke after joke. Or the scene where they're playing darts and they're having like a relatively oh, yeah. serious dramatic conversation and it's this like great bit that they're doing with the darts that make me laugh very hard. Yeah, yeah. And 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 it should be said that aside from being brilliantly clever in so many points in this film it's also great physical comedy mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's it's i mean this is part of why mel brooks is a genius at what he does is that he can blend those those worlds i mean it, it, it is some people find it hammy some people find it sticky some people find it to be that very kind of like borscht belt kind of uh uh comedy kind of shoehorned into movies and and it kind of disappoints me because I've heard people more and more recently complaining about Mel Brooks saying like oh yeah I used to like Mel Brooks but it's like you know it seems dated or it seems weird or that kind of stuff I don't think that that's the case there may be a couple of his films that feel that way a bit but uh but certainly movies like this or Dracula Dead and Loving It or to some extent Blazing Saddles they they exist kind of out of time because of the the conventions that they're sending up are timeless in their own way you know like these are these are things that we're accustomed to seeing and experiencing so when he's laying on those jokes sure they may seem uh sticky but they're also so So funny. funny and i think i think to get physical comedy to work in a way that feels real is like an enormous achievement. Yeah. 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 The, again, in the, in the, in the scene where they meet each other in the play, the train station and he pats Igor on the back and immediately pulls his hand back and says, Oh, you know, I'm a rather brilliant surgeon and I could do something about that hump. Totally deadpan. Marty Feldman just looks at him and says, wow. And, Maybe my favorite take in all of cinema, Gene Wilder sort of looks up and away <laughs> and then just says, 
Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, we're going to have to dismiss <laughs> this part of the conversation. I'm going to move on. It's just it, like, it's a combination of physical comedy with just ideal timing. Oh God. It's so good. It's just Indeed. so good. I think we're all in agreement here. This is a winner. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yep. It's a classic for a reason. I mean, it's, it is as brilliant as a comedy can be, I think. Yeah. For sure. I give it my endorsement. Likewise. Likewise. And I will say one additional thing. This, a lot of, a lot of comedies that people love and a lot of great comedies often feel like a series of sketches strung together, right? Even if you watch something like, Monty Python's Life of Brian or Holy Grail or anything like that, which are some of my favorite comedies of all time. They are clearly written by sketch writers who strung a bunch of sketches together with a thread of a plot, right? But this film feels like a genuine story being told that just happens to have this kind of rapid fire comedy throughout, you know, and that's, I think that that's a, uh, a difficult achievement and and extremely admirable. And it never gets lost in total silliness either. Like the the silliness level is uh, is always sort of in line with the realistic uh, aspect of each scene. You know, like yeah. uh, when when Igor says "Walk this way," no, this way, <laughs> and and Gene Wilder like temporarily walks with the hunch and then and then straightens himself. It's uh, it's not as silly as you'll get from other Mel Brooks films like Blazing Saddles or History of the World Part One, where it's just so over the top silliness that it 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 sort of sticks out from the rest of the story. But the, but yeah. every, all the yeah, silliness yeah. in this film is is really motivated nicely. It is. Yeah. It is indeed. So thank you, Kathleen, immensely for recommending this. I'm so glad to watch it again. I've seen it many times in my life, uh, but uh, I'm always happy to watch it again. And I had recently been gifted the Mel Brooks collection on Blu-ray. So this was my opportunity to crack (laughs) that open and get started uh, watching them all again. So, uh, yeah, it was great. I think it's a great film. If you haven't seen seen it, see it. If you have seen it, Watch it again. It's just as funny the 15th time. (laughs) It really is. Um, So thanks again, Kathleen. Uh, Thanks for coming on the show. Hopefully uh, we'll have you on again very soon. Anytime. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Please join us for our next podcast when we'll be talking about the new Johnny Depp vehicle, Black Mass, about... James J. Whitey Bulger. Yes. Uh, it should be a very interesting... Uh, I, I think this is sort of the kickstarting of the Oscar hopeful season, but without actually... I mean, we're not quite at the award winners yet. It's just the movies that the studios kind of put out there to try and test the waters and say, oh, we might have... We might get noticed for a performance, or we might get noticed for a little something. Yeah, you something mean here. the films that win awards at the Golden Globes and then pass away yeah, before yeah. the Oscar season happens. Yep. Yeah, yeah that's or, what I mean. When's the next David Fincher movie coming out? That they usually come out at around this time, and 
get sweep the yeah, Golden Globes yeah. and then just get nothing at the Oscars. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that should be fun, and we hope you will join us for that. Uh, thank you so much for Have listening. Have a good one.